You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. I hope you have your party shoes on. I hope you brought your social dogs. You know, the ones you can leave outside the grocery store, the ones you can take anywhere, the ones you can even bring in your purse to parties. Yeah, those dogs. Are those pit bulls? Well, some of them are, aren't they? I don't know. Maybe you think that pit bulls should be muzzled or forbidden or outlawed. Or maybe you think that, they're, uh, that there's a lot of stereotyping going on and pitbulls have had a rough deal. We're going to find out about that. We're going to talk all about it because lately there's been some issues here in Canada. And I'll talk about that with Dr. Stan Korn, professor of psychology and author of Intelligence of Dogs and many, many other books about dogs and other matters. And so we've got Dr. Stan Korn on the show. Welcome to the show. Hi there, Deb. Welcome to the party. Did you bring a pit bull? No, I like kissy-faced dogs. You like kissy-faced dogs. Well, I'm sure you know, I don't know if all my listeners know, in Montreal there was a proposal of a breed ban. It almost went through. Then the SPCA appealed it. There's an injunction. Pit bulls may be illegal in Montreal. We don't know yet. They have been illegal in lots of cities, including Toronto. And sometimes in Vancouver, they talk about that, especially lately, because there were three different incidents with elderly couples being attacked in Surrey, a, a large suburb of Vancouver, British Columbia, where I live. And uh, now everybody's up in arms and wondering, you know, is it the breed? Will life be safer if we outlaw them? And so I want to ask you, because you're the psychology guy, is there something wrong with this breed? Well, I mean, there are two issues here, okay? The first thing is the behavior of the dogs, and the second thing is the, uh, the effectiveness of these breed-specific uh, bands. Let's deal with the, the uh, issue of whether or not uh, there's something special about uh, pit bulls. Okay, uh, like, okay, like the lockjaw or, you know, that they're somehow um, fiercer, tougher, stronger, more determined, more unstoppable than anybody else. Is that true? Well, you have to understand that uh, pit bulls had a uh, function, and uh, their function was for uh, dog fights and for to, to be in the pit with uh, uh, bulls or bears or that sort of thing. And they were designed to be very, very strong and aggressive dogs. And when the... Um, various uh, pit sports were uh, banned, what sprung up in, in their place was dogfighting. Now, dogfighting was for a long time um, quite legal, and in fact, up until the uh, early 1930s, uh, there used to be columns on the uh, sports uh, section of uh, many newspapers reporting the latest uh, results from the various dogfights. The dogs oh, were Oh man, I didn't know that. And I bet in some countries that still goes on. It's still legal. Oh, yeah. oh yes, it's still legal in a large number of countries. Uh, uh, many of the Asian countries, Japan, China, uh, Korea, Vietnam, uh, that sort of thing. Japan? Uh, 
Japan, yes. the place where they pamper the dogs the most, I think, in the whole, in the known world. Really? Yes, wow. They, what a they, strange situation. Well, they have uh, dogs uh, which are specially bred for this uh, purpose. They're called Tasa Apsus. And the dogs which win these fights are actually given titles and honors uh, very much like this, the sumo wrestlers. But uh, the important thing here is that... Um, uh, these dog fights, although they are now uh, illegal in all of the uh, states in the U.S. and in all of the provinces in Canada, they still go on. I'll give you a staggering statistic. A staggering statistic mm -hmm. is that in the U.S. alone, 40,000 people earn their main part of their living from dog fights. So we're talking about a big <sighs> industry here. It's a betting industry. Um, it's controlled by the guys you don't like, you know, the bikers and the people who move drugs and guns and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, at dogfights, a huge amount of money can exchange hands. Now, the trick here is that these people want very vicious dogs. They want dogs which, and the key word here is if you're searching the web, especially the dark web, is uh, the term game-bred dogs, and game-bred dogs are bred for fighting. And it You know, is, that's such a little disguise. I would have thought that was hunting, hunting game. That's a little trick right there. That's right, wow. and, but the game which is being used here yeah. is the game of dog fighting, and they use a hard genetic selection technique. That means to say you breed dogs who have won dog fights with other dogs who have won dog fights. So yeah. you are breeding for these highly aggressive techniques. I was involved in a uh, bit of a sting operation uh, conducted by the Michigan Humane Society, oh, 15 years ago or something like that. Um, and I got to meet some of these, um, the people who were uh, breeding these dogs. And one of them told me that these dogs are bred to be so aggressive that the puppies have to be taken away from the bitch when the, uh, they are about five weeks of age or she'll kill them. I mean, so Oh, my God, that's terrible. Because <gasps> I breed dogs. I know, oh, my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because I will, for example, not breed anybody who's car sick. Or, I mean, you yeah. know, as to prone to hot spots. I mean, little things like that. Because you just don't want even one parent having a trait like that and the nastiness. My, oh, my gosh, for a mom to turn on her own pups like that, that's just off the scale for her to consider them rivals at five weeks when they're not even weaned yet. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, but the thing I've always wondered is when they make a ban – so, so, okay, but, the, okay, f first, before oh, I even okay, talk okay, about oh, the breed okay. band, the, but, but, this, this group of pitbulls that are being bred for these intense fighting traits, that's not like the random dog who comes to camp, good dog, that's maybe three-quarter pitbull, one-quarter lab. No, no. And, you and, know, he's not the same guy, is he? No, and, and you can tell when you're, if you're searching the web for kennels who breed game-bred dogs, You'll find kennel names, and I'm not lying over here. They'll have Armageddon kennels, Hard Bite kennels, No Gladiator. Mercy kennels. I've seen if, Gladiator. Gladiator yeah, dogs. Like, that, what is that? That's, that's right. Not good. So, so you know, those are not the 
the kennels you want to get your family dog from. On the other hand, there are lines of pit bulls which, you know, don't have the game breeding in the line. And, you know, they'll come out from things like heather kennels or marigold kennels. Uh, those dogs can be the pit bulls that we used to have, okay? It used to be the case that pit bulls uh, were considered to be good family dogs. Do you remember the little rascals? Uh, oh, yeah, totally. The dog with the line around his eye, the bullseye. That, that's right. That was an American <laughs> pit bull terrier. That was Petey, okay? And it was considered to be the perfect family dog. And, in fact, the, the mascot for the um, U.S. Navy in World War One was a pit bull. And, well, uh, and, you know, when I meet people from South Africa or England – they often have smaller, shorter pitties that they call staffies. And sometimes yeah. they're almost the same size. Sometimes they're way smaller. But they don't seem to be at all aggressive. Well, the staffies, again, there are some staffies which are being game-bred. And those dogs are, in fact, going to be sort of not your friendly family dog. But the other dogs, the ones, if you can keep a line free of any of the game breeding, then you can have that sort of, you know, family-type dog. The big problem is the leakage. You know, there are some breeders who, you know, think they're breeding, you know, family-type pit bulls, and they see a male who happens to be, you know, particularly well-built and that sort of thing, and they bring it in for breeding, and it turns out that just a generation ago, it came from a game-bred line. And that's how that can sort of leak through the entire breed and and that's that's your problem okay so there are good pit bulls out over there but there are a lot of them uh which have this 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 genetic predisposition toward aggression and it's being fostered you know you've got lots of guys yeah. out over there protecting their drug stash or trying to look tough and that sort of thing so for example the uh rapper uh dmz uh had an album called Grand Champion, and it was all about fighting dogs. And Ice-T had a uh, song in which he uh, talked about he has a pit bull named Felony. So, okay. I mean, yeah, they're glorifying the whole machismo thing through, through pit bull fighting and dog fighting. But, you know, it seems to me that there are worse dogs out there. Like well, when I go on a training lesson and I'm facing a cane corso or – uh, Dogo Argentino, and it's bitten somebody, and they're calling me in because the dog's been aggressive. And it's uh, like two pit bulls in size and weight, same shape, same head, same everything. I don't think I'm somehow safer than with a pit that I go train. Oh, Should no. I? No, 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 no. There are <laughs> there are aggressive breeds over there, and you've named two of them: the Cane Corso. The Dogo Argentine, the Brazil Filiario, there and oh, I've not had the pleasure yet on that one. I'm sure it's coming soon because people get these dogs and they don't know what they've got, and they don't give it enough training when it's an adolescent and a sweetie, and all of a sudden it becomes the full adult version, and it's had no guidance. It's not coming. It's not listening. It doesn't have manners. It doesn't know who to trust, who not to trust, and now it starts making those calls itself. And that's when they pick up the phone and call me after it's terrorized the neighbor against a fence or something. Yeah, you know, I mean, and I just wish they'd call me when it was six months old and 90 pounds, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's still workable, though. Some of these dogs, uh, if you take the combination of the genetic predisposition and the lack of training, I mean, you know, you can turn them into a surface to surface missile. 
Now, the thing about this is, and, and the, th the thing which scares uh, politicians is the data. You see, there is no requirement that dog bites be registered in national registries. So uh, instead, however, there is a uh, requirement, at least in the states, that any fatalities associated with uh, uh, dog bites are registered. Now, there are not a bunch of these things, okay? There are between 14 and 18 per year in the states. So, so you know, looking at it sort of comparatively, you're seven times more likely to be killed by being struck by lightning. But nonetheless, these statistics have been kept since the early 1990s. And so we've got 25 or more years of, uh, of data. And when you break it down by uh, breeds, you find that the, the number of dog bite fatalities racked up to pit bulls is in excess of 46%. Now, that is for a breed of, a breed of dog who accounts for maybe one half of 1% or, you know, some people say that they're under-registered, so maybe 1%. So Yeah, another, it's another, not like they're overrepresented, like poodles or cockers in every house. No, they're not. No, I see and, what you're saying. They shouldn't and, be ranking up there. That's yeah. right. In other words, this is, this is 50 to 100 times more uh, higher rate of fatalities than you'd expect uh, based on the their statistical numbers themselves, and that's scary. And if you look at a, a dog breed like the Golden Retriever, okay, Golden Retrievers outweigh pit bulls. They're bigger dogs, and we have, you know, forty or fifty times more Golden Retrievers out over there than we have pit bulls. And yet, you never hear, you know, uh, newspaper reports that you know a child was killed by a marauding band of Golden. Retrievers. I mean, <laughs> yeah, drugs seized at warehouse guarded by golden retrievers. Exactly. Yeah, bad move, everybody. <laughs> Wrong choice. Okay, well, we have to go to a commercial break. Uh, before we do, though, I do want to say that I have met Goldens who bite, and I have met Goldens who are maybe not so tolerant with children anymore. So you do have to uh, make sure when you approach a dog you don't know, even if it's a golden retriever, you talk to the owner first, and you do have to make sure that you know the dog you're dealing with. And as they age, you make sure they're not in any pain, because if you step on them when they're sleeping, well, something might happen. But I do, I do appreciate what you're talking about there. And Goldens and Pipples are definitely not the same. I breed standard poodles and golden doodles so you know the the idea of one of my mama poodles or mama goldens killing her own offspring is just it's just completely impossible impossible it's just not even it's not possible and so like that's how apples and oranges we're talking about the different breeds but i do want to come back because we've kind of uh shed some shade we put some shade on the pit bulls and i think that that's not quite fair so we're going to come back and redress that there are good pit bulls out there and we're going to talk about that with dr stan corin my guest i'm deb wolf and you're listening to animal party on pet life radio stay tuned don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come only losers leave the party early anyway party on back in a few Put a puppy under the Christmas tree. Wait, you read it, not feed it. 
It's the dog with the opposable thumb. An accidental love story. The fun new book by award-winning author, Mark Barkowitz. When an accidentally DNA-altered puppy is born with a thumb, his lovelorn grad student caretaker devises a strategy to achieve their Kardashian-like fame and fortune. It's funny, intelligent, and incredibly unique. And 20% of book sales benefit the Pasadena Humane Society and SPCA. The Dog with the Opposable Thumb is available now through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and MarkBark.org. Thumbs up to a howling fun book for the holidays. The Dog with the Opposable Thumb. Order yours now. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go! Hello! You're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. And we've got pit bulls at this party. They're the ones that weren't bred for game. They weren't bred to fight. Okay, so Dr. Corn, how do we know if, if someone loves pit bulls and wants a pit bull or comes across a mutt at the pound and they want to adopt it and it's part pit bull... Do you just go the same way you've told me years ago when you look at a mutt, what you see is what you get? You know, if you if you look at a mutt and he's he swims and he loves everybody and he looks like a lab, well, he is a lab. The go with that. Is that what we do if you meet a pit bull cross and he seems really chill and mellow with all the other dogs and he likes people? Have you got a good one then? Well, I mean, you have to be careful. That's that's the whole problem. I mean, if you can get, if you're looking for a purebred dog, you know, you can get, go to one of the kennels, which has kept itself free from game breeding for a number of generations. And that's a pretty safe bet in this sort of thing. When you're trying to pick a dog out of the kennel, that's a little bit harder, okay? You're better off if the dog is younger uh, because, you know, it's it's less likely to have had the time to accrue some sort of family history or some sort of abusive history in this case. But the one thing you have to be very, very careful about is if the uh, people at the shelter have any evidence at all of aggression on the part of the dog, avoid it, okay? Because it's triggered by, uh, it's very often triggered by excitement. It's triggered by uh, a sudden event occurring uh, near the the dog. So if it has happened once, then it's likely to happen again. I can give you an example. We were talking about staffies a moment ago. Yeah. Uh, I know a gal who has had staffies uh, for much of her life, and she has trained them for obedience competition. And one of them went on to become the third highest uh, scoring uh, dog in uh, in Canada overall, uh, which is remarkable for the breed. Anyway, she uh, had a staffy, uh, a male from a kennel, uh, which supposedly uh, was a good line. And the dog was a bit chippy, but, but not much more than some of the other dogs. And then one day she fell 
And that falling down near the dog was enough to trigger the aggressive responses in the dog and the dog savaged her. Uh, <gasps> no, so her own dog attacked her? That's her what you're own, saying? The, her oh. own dog attacked her. And remember, this is a gal who had a lifelong experience training dogs, yeah, especially she training her. terries. So, oh, you know, no. And, Is she all right now? Oh, yeah, she's, she's all right now, but, you know, it, it, she was messed uh -huh. up for a while. So this is one of the problems. So if there is, you know, if there is any chippiness in the dog whatsoever, and it, it, it's one of the bully breeds, I would stay away from it. Now, there are dogs which get thrown into the pit bull uh, category, which probably shouldn't be there. So the bull terrier, you know, that the, the dog with the... Yeah. Uh, uh, the hockey uh, dog, the little stubby dog with a pointy face, looks like a doorstop. That's <laughs> right, with the triangular-shaped eyes and that sort of thing. And it looks mean as hell, but the but actually, um, uh, they are are not people aggressive at all. So they may be a bit um, snarly around other dogs, but they are really not people aggressive. So you know, but they get thrown in with the other pit bull breeds well, because it's yeah. called the bull terrier. <laughs> what about Rotties? Because I think they're often thrown in this group, and I I really love and trust Rotties. I have no never had issues with Rotties. Well, Rotties are overrepresented in the hard bite uh, statistics, but not to the same degree. And for Rotties, it does not seem to be a genetic predisposition. It seems to be training. It's the uh, owner. It's the owner. I know it. Because yeah. I've never seen something so nurturing as a Rottie mom. The females and the way they are with cats and little creatures and things like this. I mean, it, it's got to be the owners when it comes to them. Well, and, and Rotties are sort of traditionally used by many people as guard dogs. So they are trained to sort of have, you know, that aggressive, suspicious nature. Do you know that in New York, uh, in the barrio, in the Hispanic mm -hmm. uh, region, uh, there's a company called Rent a Rottie. Wow. And people can go down over there and rent a Rottweiler. The dog comes with a big, you know, chain looking yeah, studded you know, collar, collar and that's sort of the yeah. dogs are completely obedience trained and so the guys can strut around, strut around the barrio in their body shirts and look really tough over the weekend and then return the dog you know on monday oh my god oh, okay <laughs> so all right so there's probably people out there thinking well if a good deal of the pipples are damaged because of the breeding intentionally to make them fighting dogs and there's leakage into the main population, then, you know, maybe it'd be just be safer to ban them all. But it seems to me when bans happen, they don't really work because only the good players, the decent people obey. So the bad apples still keep going. And I think they look for worse dogs, like these dogs I was talking about. If you can't own a pitbull to guard or to fight or to guard your illegal stash of whatever, why wouldn't you get a Dogo Argentino? Why wouldn't you get a Cane Corso? I mean, it makes sense to me. If I was living in the woods somewhere and it like after Armageddon and I had to protect my resources, okay, maybe I'd get one too. But that's not the world we live in. I'm, I'm just wondering, do breed bands ever work? Um, that's the that's the real problem. Let's let me give you some statistics, okay? Italy and Denmark both had breed specific bans. Both of them have rescinded that legislation. In Italy, the problem was, you know, 
which dogs got listed on the breed band. And they put some criteria in that if they had, you know, three hospital reported bites from a given breed, that breed got listed. Well, by the time you were done, you had Irish setters on the band list. Yeah, like the insurance list, right? There's Labrador (laughs) retrievers on the list of dogs they won't insure your house if you have one because it might bite one. It's like, what? Yes. Come on. And so Italy abandoned it for that reason and they had Denmark for a similar reason that it, that it was simply not working. In Canada, for example, both uh, Vancouver and Edmonton had breed-specific bans and they both rescinded that legislation. It wasn't working. There was a study which was done which looked at 36 municipalities which had banned various dog breeds and compare them to municipalities which had, did not have a breed ban and they found absolutely no difference whatsoever in the rate of dog bites and finally on, in Toronto instituted a uh, Ontario uh, interest instituted a uh, ban on um, the bully breeds and uh, they have had no reduction whatsoever in terms of dog bites um, and part of the reason is what you said, which is, you know, the the <clears throat> the nasty guys, okay, the ones who have tattoos on their tattoos, <laughs> um, uh, you know, want a tough dog to be a guard dog. If you if they can't have a pit bull, then they will have a Roddy. If they can't have a Roddy, then they will have a Miramana, or they will have a Great Pyrenees, or they will have whatever dog, or an Akita, and they will have whatever dog they can uh, uh, coax the aggressive response out of. And Yeah, and for- find a breeder to breed one, a mean one too, right? Find a breeder yeah. to breed a mean one and then train it to be as mean as it can be, and oh, bad, bad, but yeah, bigger, but, but, fiercer. And, you know, and they will often, you know, veer toward dogs which look traditionally tough, so dogs like German Shepherds and uh, Malinois and that sort of thing, because they're associated with sort of police work and and have a certain look, and part of the whole thing is, you know, if you're protecting your illicit gear, then, you know, you want a dog which is going to frighten other people away. Now, you are right that there are that uh, we are now beginning to see more dogs like the Dogo Argentine and the Cane Corso and the Neapolitan Mastiff. And, you know, these are tough dogs. Really, really tough compared to Pipples. Just and, the strength and size. I mean, these are 120-pound dogs, right? This and, is not your 60-pound Pitbull. And so, and there were also dogs which were designed to be herd-guarding dogs. And dogs which are designed to guard a herd are basically suspicious in nature and, you know, can be provoked into aggression. So you can take that sort of thing and you can start to make it suspicious of people and you can start to make it uh, have a hair trigger and pop off with an aggressive response quickly. Um, and so, so that's one of the reasons why the breed bands don't work. But there's, there's something much more positive involved over here. So let's just sort of flip back sort of two steps. There is a way to cut down on the dog bite statistics. The very first thing is that the American Association of Animal Hospitals about 20 years ago, so it's a long time ago before this thing had really boiled up, ran a, a study 
in which they found that if a um, dog has had a basic dog obedience class, we're talking about the one where the dogs, the you know, puppy stand, class, the puppy well, class. I love it. Yes. Well, you know, the, the sort of thing where the dogs stand around the circle and you teach Lassie how to sit and lay down on command. Come, you know, sit, heal, yeah. get along with the other students, not freak yeah. out or overreact or play right. nonsense to the owner in yes. the group. Exactly. And, and it's, it's these sort of seven or eight week, you know, uh, long courses and and nothing super sexy involved here and they find and I'm rounding the statistics over here but they find that a dog who has had that kind of training that minimal amount of training um, is uh, 90% less likely to be involved in a serious biting incident okay that little bit of effort now there's a second part to this the most frequent target for dog bites our kids. Yeah. And so it's that uh, seven to nine year old boy range, seven to 11, maybe that seems to well, be the. No, the toddlers are also targeted. Oh, are they? Yeah. Because they look like crippled animals and they make these <laughs> squealing sounds. That's but, true. Anyway, but anyway, it turns out that there is a very simple dog bite prevention technique that you can teach these kids. Okay, we ran a study in Vancouver, it lasted about three years, in which I would go into a, uh, a third grade classroom and we and I bring one of my dogs and a bunch of pictures and we teach the kids what the basic signals were on the dog, which meant that the dog should not be approached, but also what to do if a dog was threatening them. And we used a technique which was developed by the gals at the uh, Doggone Safe website. And it's very simple. It's called Be a Tree. So what the, the uh, kids are taught to do is to stand still like a tree and fold your branches so they fold their hands in, in, in front of them and stare at your roots. In other words, they look at their feet. Now, the whole business about this is you're cutting out the three major triggers. If dogs uh, have a prey drive, so if something runs, they'll chase it. So a tree is not running, so you've taken that out. The second thing is dogs view our hands as potential mouths, um, which grab at them and that sort of thing. So we've just folded those mouths away uh, by folding the arms. And then you have them stare at their feet because staring a dog in the eyes is taken as a threat. So that's the simple technique which you teach them. Now, in our studies, we found, and again, you know, it, this was not done as scientifically as I would have liked it because we had to rely on the teachers taking the follow-up measures. But in any event, uh, we found that the kids who took this, it's roughly a one-hour uh, uh, course, um, had an 80% reduced likelihood of being bitten. And furthermore, we had chosen the third graders who are about nine years old to be for a very specific reason. Uh, that is because they're verbal enough so that they can talk to other kids. And so we found that there was roughly speaking a 60% reduction in, in dog bites for their siblings, for their brothers and sisters. That's amazing. Be because they would say if the kid was doing the wrong thing, no, 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 don't do that, my teacher says. So you take those two things, you train the kids 
tiny little bit of educational time uh, on this dog bite prevention technique. You train the dogs for just a basic dog obedience uh, course, and you've reduced the number of dog bites by 95%. We've got to go to commercial. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about this. But um, I just want to tell you, people, it is so easy to find a puppy class. I stopped doing them because they're just so available everywhere. They're available at chain stores. They're available at community centers. They're available in parks. They're just, just open your eyes. You can enroll your dog and they're not expensive. It, it works out to about five or $10 a session, not even. And, uh, you know, it, it's, you can bring your kids, get everybody involved in puppy class. It's a, so, so much fun, you know, and if you can't afford it, then maybe you shouldn't be getting a puppy. Maybe you should get a dog that's already trained. Okay. So, Listen up, we're going to break, but we'll be back at our party. And um, I'm going to tell a story about a pit bull cross that a really nice dog that had some really bad luck with where it moved and what ensued after that. And then we're going to talk about kissy face spaniels because I promised Dr. Cord. So stay tuned at Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.